what are we going back to? That for us was a $3,000 flight. It was going to be guaranteed quarantine in the States. And where are we going to quarantine? Like in our long-term storage parking lot where, where our camper is? like Or a cage somewhere. Or a cage. <laughs> God, that would be the best case scenario. And then it, the U.S. was actually having more cases than Poland. Welcome to Deviate with Rolf Potts. Today, as part of my ongoing COVID-19 pandemic coverage, I'm sharing some reports from travelers who are either stranded or self-isolating in various parts of the world. In fact, you won't hear much of my voice in this episode since I'm basically handing it over to travelers sharing stories from all corners of the world and letting them speak for themselves. This week, I have 10 dispatches from places like Thailand, Uruguay, Mexico, Australia, Turkey, Tunisia, Poland, Spain, Argentina, and France. Some of these travelers are reporting for the United States after having made it home from their travels, but most of them are still overseas. It was interesting in listening to all of these reports how similar some of the details were, how all of us everywhere are getting used to social isolation and trying to make sense of government information about COVID-19, no matter what government we're talking about. Indeed, if there's one thing that characterizes the pandemic right now, it's that there's so much we don't know about it, and that comes through in this episode. So if you feel like there's a lot of uncertainty in, say, the U.S. or Canada right now, rest assured that this uncertainty is global. One thing I will point out here is that these dispatches don't come from vacationers. They come from vagabonders and expatriates who know travel well. And for that reason, I think their insights carry a certain edge of credibility, even as they admit there's a lot they don't know. These dispatches came in over the weekend and early this week. Some of them were as long as 20 minutes, but I've cut them down to about three to five minutes each. If you sent me a dispatch and I didn't include it, rest assured my producer and I are doing our best to sort through everything during our own home duties during this extraordinary time. There's some grim news in these reports, but there's also a lot of positive news about people helping each other and the resilience of the human spirit. In fact, a lot of these stranded travelers offered encouraging words to those of us who were dealing with the same pandemic issues at home. And I thought this was a generous gesture coming from people whose coming days are even less certain than those of us who aren't traveling right now. There's a lot of stories and perspectives here, and I'll let them speak for themselves. We start with a couple of digital nomads who found themselves in Poland when the travel world shut down. Let's listen in. This is Mike and Ann Howard of HoneyTrek.com and Deviate Podcast Correspondents checking in from southeastern Poland. We are both U.S. citizens, born and raised, but we've been on the road full-time as digital nomads since January 2012 on what started as a one-year honeymoon and has just reached the beginning of its ninth year. Um, Poland is our 61st country that we've explored together, and now it looks like we may be here for the next 30-plus days. Being in self-quarantine uh, is, is not too far off of our life back in the U.S. We live mostly out in the woods, in nature, on BLM land, and here. Um, in a very small space, sitting 24-7 together, so... We uh, versus I think a lot of people are freaking out that just because they have have to spend this much time with their significant other and children and they're like oh god please don't trap me here but we've kind of been doing this for years anyway so we feel very fortunate that we um, are kind of accustomed to this style of travel to this you know small footprint of living but it was also um, it, it it was scary to go do do we stay here like but then we have to kind of step back and go like whoa 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 like. What are we going back to? That for us was a $3,000 flight. It was going to be 
guaranteed quarantine in the States. And where are we going to quarantine? Like in our long term storage parking lot where, where our camper is? Like, or a cage somewhere. Or a cage. <laughs> God, that would be the best case scenario. And then um, it, the U.S. was actually having more cases in Poland. So we're just like, you know what? Lay low. We're not going to like like get fear get the better of us. And, and I do have to give some love to the indie campers guys. We called them and told them about the new border restrictions and they were so cool and chill about it they were like hey you know obviously if you can't cross you can have it longer so we're in the camper indefinitely now and it's like our honestly our we're super grateful that we have a self-quarantine mobile and we can be in our own space we can easily access nature we don't have to interface with many people we're totally self-sufficient you know bathroom kitchen bed the whole thing so we're staying out of big cities but we are taking this opportunity because we are a self like self-contained vehicle to explore the nature areas and Poland's actually gorgeous. I think most people do go to Krakow and Warsaw and they don't get to see some of the incredible mountains and biosphere reserves that they have. So we're making the most of it while trying to like be pretty low key. But I don't know if any, you know, I can't wait to hear this podcast when it's all together and the stories of other travelers. But there is a shift, right? And we know the warmth, kindness of Polish people. But there's a serious wariness for the other. We're driving around with German license plates and people look at us like we have 25 heads. We get out of the car, they hear English, and then we have 35 heads. It's sort of like, what are you doing here? Not in a hostile way, but everybody's naturally got their guard up a little bit. It's not the friendly world, unfortunately, that we lived in even two weeks ago. So we need a big sign on the front that that says we're self-isolating or we're self-quarantining in here. I'm Justine Miller and I'm from New York City. And uh, right now I'm in Tunis, the capital of Tunisia. Uh, My husband and I are journalists on an extended sabbatical doing freelance stories around the world. We started January 1st, planning to be gone for about seven months, but that's obviously cut short now by coronavirus. Uh, We were traveling in India when the virus really started taking off, Um, and so then we went to Egypt where the number of cases was a lot lower, but then they actually started shooting up there as well, Uh, so we came over to Tunisia where again the numbers were low. Um, There still aren't too many cases here, but the government has taken um, some pretty drastic uh, but understandable measures to kind of curb the spread. So now we are living in a hotel room in Tunisia, just basically waiting it out. Um, So at first, hotels and airports were just taking our temperatures every time we came in and making us fill out questionnaires about where we've been, how we felt, things like that. Um, But there's definitely been a change with restaurants being shut down at 4 p.m. for almost all of our time in Tunisia and um, even the main museum in the capital being closed. Um, But now that's gotten a lot more drastic with a full lockdown in place and all borders and airspace completely shut down. So the spread of information here is pretty slow and often inaccurate. We actually heard through articles shared on Twitter that the borders had closed last week so quickly that we didn't have time to get back to the capital and get a flight out. 
Um, we were a seven-hour drive from Tunis, the capital here, and only had five hours until the airspace closing. So we figured we were stuck anyway and would at least finish our itinerary and all the sightseeing we wanted to do here. Um, then we saw a new article several days later saying that the final flights would now be leaving. So if we would have known that flights were still leaving after it was announced they were stopped, we would have probably gone back and tried to get one. Um, so we did speak to the U.S. Embassy here, and the staff were very helpful and nice answering all our questions, um, except for the main one, which is when we could actually get out. So um, they say they're working on a chartered flight for all Americans stuck in North Africa, but that nothing is scheduled yet and that there's no actual timeline. So we sent them our information, and now we are literally just sitting here waiting to see what they say. We've tried so many different options to try and get out from private plane companies, evacuation through health insurance, um, other ways to get across borders, but it really is totally locked down. So we'll just have to wait and see. We um, honestly want to continue traveling and don't really want to go home. Uh, we live in New York City where the cases are out of control anyway, and we wanted to be you know, on this trip Anyway, so we really would like to stay here, but unfortunately, it seems like so many countries have closed their borders now that we don't even have much choice. So when that flight becomes available from the embassy, we'll probably have to take that um, and go back. My name is Raleigh Peterkin. I'm 32 years old. I'm from outside of Boston, Massachusetts, and I'm the author of the book, The Cage, Escaping the American Dream, about my MMA career in Peru. So most recently, I had a vagabonding trip where I was traveling for about five months. I was in Europe for a while, and then I flew to Istanbul, and I was only planning on staying a little bit, but I just fell in love with the country of Turkey and traveled all around Cappadocia, Antalya, Fethiye, Izmir, and a lot of stops in between. And I was there for over a month, and I just really, really loved it. And when I first arrived in Istanbul, it was when the COVID was just kind of starting, when people were first hearing about this. And... Uh, you know, none of the people I met were really that concerned with it. It was just a thing in China. But um, of course, over the next month and a half or so, things progressed. And Turkey actually was not that bad. It was one of the last countries to get it. For a long time, there were no cases there. And um, even a Turkish guy got it in France and people were joking like, oh, I guess we're not invincible then. Um, but uh, yeah, and also people were not trusting the government. They thought that the government had lied about it because the government um, controls a lot of the media there and has a lot of misinformation. So even, for example, while I was there, uh, 33 Turkish soldiers were killed in Syria on the ground in a bombing. And that day, the uh, social media stopped working. So I was trying to log on Instagram and it wouldn't load for about 24 hours. Uh, Instagram, Facebook even WhatsApp messages, it was crazy. So they actually control a lot of the media. So for that reason, a lot of people that I talked to said, oh, there's no cases, but we don't, we don't trust the government. Most of my trip, I was doing couch surfing and hitchhiking. And um, I thought the local people were amazing. I met so many incredible people there. And uh, of course, with a contagious disease that puts a real damper on that style of travel, even if there aren't that many cases, um, so I found really hard to find a, a couch surfing host. Um, and I continued hitchhiking until even like a few days ago. And, you know, I just, I was, I was able to actually get rides and I got in a car with an older guy and I just thought like this, this isn't right. So I started taking buses and everything. There were still other travelers there at my hostels. There were still, you know, 
a few hanger-ons from uh, hangers-on, I guess, from uh, other countries. You had Americans, Australians, uh, English people, and uh, th- those kind of things. But uh, everyone was kind of starting to figure out an escape plan out of there. And I, I was gonna stay longer, but uh, I heard that the government was that the U.S. government was thinking about giving an ultimatum to its uh, citizens abroad and saying. Uh, you, we might not be able to get back home, you know, the final call, kind of last call for us. And uh, I just thought it's time to get home. So I bought a ticket for the next morning, actually. And it wasn't too much money. It was about $375 from Istanbul back to Boston with a connection in uh, Charles de Gaulle in Paris. So I flew from Izmir to Istanbul, spent the night there. Um, and there were a lot of people like camped out outside of the airport. But then once I got inside through the security, there's almost no one there. It was eerie. I have to say that uh, the whole process was actually pretty seamless. There were, I was really nervous going into it about the cancellation of flights and things like that. But uh, because there were so few travelers, it was pretty easy process. Of course, everyone was wearing face masks and everyone was nervous about it. Um, on the board in Istanbul, there was a, a list of all the flights and some of them said canceled in yellow next to them. And uh, like 90% of them were canceled. And thank God mine wasn't. I think I lucked out. Yeah, I'm glad that I was able to make it home. I'm back. Um, I'm st- my grandparents have an empty house and I'm staying here uh, to self-isolate before I go see my parents and everything like that. So uh, I'll be here for the next two weeks. Yeah, it's a brave new world. I mean, I think that... Uh, all the struggles of traveling and everything hopefully have taught me a lot of lessons about survival that will be a useful coming up and uh i hope we all get back out there and travel again soon hello my name is sam page and i am 24 years old i'm from florida in the u.s and i've been traveling outside of the u.s for a little over two years now Right now, I am in Canberra in the Australian Capital Territory, and I had planned to explore the eastern coast of Australia in a camper van, going from Canberra to Cairns and taking my time along the way. Throughout my travels, I met a partner in Tasmania who was going to pursue this journey with me through the east coast of Australia, and he landed a job at one of the top restaurants in Canberra City at the end of January, so he was also saving to split the investment in the camper van. Unfortunately, all of our plans are now at a full stop due to COVID-19. Australia's response to COVID-19 is a very unique situation because this is not the first crisis that Australia has faced this year. When I landed in Canberra, Canberra had the worst air quality in the world due to the fires and the resulting smoke that devastated Australia in late 2019 and into early 2020. And this was all followed by severe hailstorms, which led to Australian National University, where I work, having seven closures in January alone. And now we're experiencing a global pandemic. I work in the College of Engineering and Computer Science, and our college has been able to offer 94% of courses online. And this is largely due to the fact that the fires and the smoke and the hail and those closures all forced the university to start this process before the global pandemic was this big of an issue. We are now rooted in Canberra, though our original trajectory had us set to leave three weeks from today. 
So I'm lucky to have a job that allows me to continue working remotely and saving for future travel. But for my partner, um, not only are all travel plans of ours halted, but now all financial preparation and financial security is up in the air for him. Because of his visa status, he's not entitled to receive any subsidies that the government provides to the restaurant to help take care of their employees. So uh, for me, one of the most important parts of traveling has always been getting to know locals and connecting with people around me. But COVID-19 has people a lot more anxious and by necessity, a lot less people are open to getting to know each other and their social distancing. Um, so living in a multicultural capital city like Canberra, I feel like I'm missing out on a lot of connections. Suddenly, no one wants to be met. No one wants to get, in, get to know each other. So that's something that I'm really missing out on in this travel experience. And speaking of human connection, I am also experiencing a lot of panic from being across the world from my family and my loved ones during this global pandemic. Of course, living... Living a lifestyle like this requires you to sacrifice certain comforts, and one of the biggest of which is being close to your family. But the fear that my parents or my grandparents might get sick and I wouldn't be there to help care for them has probably been the most stressful part of all of this. Hi, my name is M.A. My fiancé and I are from Seattle, but we've been pet-sitting internationally for almost three years. We decided recently to live in Ajiji, Mexico for a year. We're 40 minutes south of Guadalajara, and the weather is great here. We're in perpetual spring. So I'm a cautious person, and a few weeks ago, I announced that we were going to Mexican Walmart to get some canned food. I convinced my fiancé that at best, we'd have some food stored. At worst, we'd laugh about my anxiety and the cans of corn that resulted in the cupboard down the line. Most of our friends, both Mexican and expat, have been cavalier about the virus and the disease. Even now that the governor of Jalisco has announced a five-day voluntary isolation for everyone, there are still groups of children playing in the streets, and there are construction workers still building the OXO convenience stores that are taking over the villages here in the Central Highlands. Contagion came to Jalisco via charter flights that went to and from Denver two weeks ago. And there's an ongoing search now for these 400 people who uh, went to Vail to ski. Additionally, a 25-year-old man from the U.S. traveled here from Spain and there are more cases on the coast that are related to his flight. So today we have 251 reported cases of C-19 with two deaths reported. But rumor has it that there are only three testing sites in the entire country of Mexico. So there is no testing. Nobody knows anything. Last week, Canadians were strongly urged to return home to stay here would possibly result in the loss of their emergency medical coverage. We were meant to travel to New York City yesterday for a funeral. The funeral was an important one, but more and more that seemed like a really bad idea. I couldn't help but think of the irony that a funeral might be the cause of death. We talked about where else to go. New York City made no sense. 
and flying back to ground zero in our former hometown of Seattle made no sense. Flying to my mother's place in Ohio would mean passing through two flights and three airports and endangering her and her husband. So we've decided to stay put. I have jury duty in May in Seattle and a flight booked, and this is when we need to leave Mexico to renew our visas. We're worried now that if we leave, we won't be able to come back. All of our stuff is here. We have several flights now that are and were not canceled, and the airline is not offering a lot of wiggle room with cancellations and rescheduling, and that's been costly. Mexico is a relatively poor country. And here in Ahihi, we are in a community of have and have-nots. Wealthy expats are telling their housekeepers and gardeners not to come. Some are still paid. Others will suffer greatly. There's good health care in Guadalajara, but this city has the second largest population in Mexico. The virus will hit this small lakeside community hard. There's an aging population here. We are at a high altitude, and there's a lot of denial going around. But Mexicans come together. A few days ago in the park in the center of the village, there was a car with a couple of coolers in the back full of homemade hand sanitizer. Folks were lining up with old yogurt containers to fill for their households. And we saw it with the last earthquake in Mexico, that people here come together. They work together. In the U.S., people are struggling with new and sudden limitations with newly lost income. But here, a majority of Mexicans already know how to be poor. We don't know if staying is the right choice. There's no testing anywhere to tell us, and there are not enough ventilators anywhere in the world for all of us. I don't think there are any right choices at the moment. We're all making the best with what it is, with what we know right now, and with what we've got to work with. My name is Jeremy Craker, and I am from Canada. Right now, I am holed up in Uruguay, in Colonia, Uruguay. I'm here with my girlfriend. Um, our plan was to take our two motorcycles from Canada and over the course of a year, ride from Canada down to the southern tip of Argentina, which is Ushuaia, and then slowly make our way home. And we did part of that. We left Canada on August 15, more or less, and we made our way all the way through Central America, all the way through South America, down to Ushuaia. And uh, yeah, we did it. Then we turned around, and on the way home, that's when the COVID-19 thing really kicked off. And we spent about three weeks in Buenos Aires as we were watching the news and things were getting more and more serious, but it still hadn't really become a problem. And then we left Buenos Aires, took a ferry to Uruguay, where we are now, and immediately upon arrival here, um, authorities started taking this very seriously. And we got kicked out of two hotels, actually where we were trying to take shelter and trying to hunker down and, and self-isolate and all of that good stuff. But it became apparent that um, this was going to keep happening. So hotels were shutting down and restaurants were shutting down. So we quickly booked into an Airbnb 
where we are now uh, sheltering for the next month. And perhaps that won't be long enough. We'll have to wait and see. So Elle and I, we are just walking to the store to get groceries. And we were about six to ten blocks. I don't know. I haven't mapped it out. We're a few blocks away from uh, the ocean or the, the mouth of a river anyway. So we can get down to the water. Uh, we go for walks down there just to give ourselves a little mental break. And then we go to the grocery store where we stock up. And then we spend our time in our apartment basically doing nothing. Officials in Canada are telling us to come home. So the Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau, he uh, set out a very, uh, you know, somber message. And he said, all Canadians, wherever you are abroad, it's time to come home. And he suggested that maybe there would no, no longer be commercial means to get home. So he suggested taking action quickly. Uh, we thought about that. Uh, and we decided to stay where we are. And if we wanted to go home, we would have to find some place in Uruguay to store our motorcycles. And we would have to go to a crowded airport and we would have to get onto an airplane and then fly home where we would immediately be quarantined for two weeks once we got to Canada. And then who knows, maybe we bring this virus with us and we affect uh, our loved ones with it. Or maybe we pick it up in an airport along the way. Yeah. So we decided the safest option was to actually stop traveling, isolate ourselves, and uh, wait and see how this unfolds. So that's what we're doing right now. You know, obviously I'm disappointed that we can't carry on with our motorcycle adventure. And for the time being, we're not going into Brazil, which we had planned to do. And we were even looking at maybe um, seeing if we could get into the Guyanas and, and see if we could have an Amazon uh, side adventure um, where we get onto a ferry and cruise a little bit on the Amazon. So yeah, there are some regrets there and some disappointments, but we're keeping things in perspective. We are, uh, at the time I'm recording this, we are still very healthy. Uh, if we are carrying this virus, which nobody really knows for the first five days of incubation or however long it takes to incubate, um, we're healthy. So our journey has been interrupted uh, we're not even sure how or when we're going to be able to make our way home. And that's the big question there. My name is Barbara Weibel. I'm a 67-year-old American woman. Uh, I'm a travel writer and blogger who's been traveling the world for about 13 and a half years. But about three years ago, I decided I wanted to have a, a permanent home base again. Frankly, I was tired of lugging everything I owned with me everywhere I went. So I settled down in Thailand. I, I kind of always knew I'd end up here in the city of Chiang Mai, which is located in the northern part of the country. I began this year by visiting my seventh continent, Antarctica, and my 100th country, which had been a major goal for me for many years. The plan for this spring was to spend April in Spain, then to go on to Switzerland and maybe to the island of Crete but before returning to Thailand for the rest of the summer. Obviously, none of that is going to happen. I've canceled my spring travels already, and I realize that I probably won't be able to travel this fall either. I guess, you know, we're all waiting to see how long this is going to carry on. But basically, for the moment, I'm stuck in Thailand. But I'm definitely not complaining. If I have to hunker down, I really can't think of a better place. So far, we have only 422 reported cases in all of Thailand. 
There have been some rumors that the count isn't accurate, that a lot of people have died and their deaths were recorded as pneumonia, especially before people started to grasp what was really happening with the coronavirus. We don't really have any way of knowing, but it does seem that we have a lesser outbreak than in, in many places in the world. Here in Chiang Mai, uh, they say that there are only five documented cases, but 274 suspected cases. Nobody seems to know for sure what that 274 number represents. As a result, I think most people are being pretty cautious. In our province, the governor um, has ordered the closure of all gyms, uh, spas, massage parlors, uh, playgrounds, entertainment venues, bars, cockfights, boxing arenas, uh, all the, the walking streets, the tourist street markets, that happened a few days ago. The retail stores, the grocery stores, malls, restaurants, coffee shops, and fresh markets, none of them have been ordered to close yet, though many ha already have. It, it's a bit like a ghost town right now. I can still go out and walk around, as long as I practice social distancing, but mostly I'm just staying in my apartment. Um, I have to say that I'm going a little stir-crazy, which has surprised me. As a writer, I spend loads of time alone, and, and it's never bothered me before. But I usually went out at least once a day, if only to have a cup of coffee in my favorite coffee shop. I think it's more the idea that I can't go out to a restaurant or meet my friends that bothers me. It's a little like losing my freedom. It's, it's made me think about the conditions under which prisoners live, cooped up, cooped up in cells, but at least they have everyday human contact. Intellectually, though, I know that this is the right thing to do, to stay indoors, and, and that we'll get through this if we all just hunker down. I'm in touch with my expats friends and my Thai friends via Messenger, Line, and WeChat on a daily basis. My Thai friends message me whenever there's news about closures because they know I can't read Thai. So they always keep me abreast of the current situation. My expat friends who are from all over the world chat with me throughout the day. Um, every other day or so, I'll get a message to retrieve a bag that's been left hanging on my front doorknob. And inevitably, these little surprise packages contain slices of homemade cake, fruit, the other day I got a bag of stone ground oats from one of my neighbors. I never know what it's going to be. We keep each other informed and amused. Bottom line, I think all of us will come out of this with a better sense of what's really valuable in life. I think that we'll, we'll have a better understanding that caring for one another as people is the most important thing in life. Not material possessions, not political differences, not ethnicity, not religion, none of the differences, just the fact that we're all humans, we're all one human family, and there's nothing to be afraid of. Because bottom line, as this virus has shown, you know, we're all subject to the same problems. I'm Karen Catchpole. And I'm Eric Mole, and we are the Transamerica's Trans Journey. Journey together. Uh, we are from the United States. Uh, but we have been traveling through the Americas for a little, little more than 13 years, exploring uh, North Central and South America on our Trans-America's journey. It's an overland working road trip through the Americas. And right now, we are in the Uco Valley near Mendoza, Argentina. A beautiful wine area in the foot of the Andes. Yes, it's very, very lovely. And we did, in fact, plan to be here right now at this time. Uh, we 
arrived. And, Just before yeah. <laughs> the craziness started here on March 10th. Yep. Uh, and things sort of ramped up quickly in Argentina. I, I, I think they're taking a page from other countries and learning from the fact that they have other people's examples uh, to guide them a little bit. Uh, so things changed really quickly. And the last few days, Argentina has been on a total 100% lockdown except for food and medicine. immediate travel for food and medicine in your neighborhood. Right. So we are lucky in that we are in a lovely, comfortable, safe, fine, enjoyable place to be. And it's rural. Uh, so it's very, very easy to uh, not mingle with other people. Our day-to-day life, though, looks pretty much the way... We would have been we, doing it exactly. anyway for our house sitting for these five or six right. weeks. Right, because this is an opportunity for us to do what we're doing, which is sit down and work. The last few days, we started following the U.S. Embassy's Citizen Services in Argentina Twitter account, and they're pretty much just saying the same thing that uh, the State Department said in the last couple of days. If you're planning on getting home, um, coming home, come home now or plan on shelter in place. We were kind of planning on riding this out here, sheltering in place. We've already lived through one pandemic. We were in Mexico for the swine flu. And um, Mm -hmm. we just figured we were better off as as, as good as any place here um, without having to travel anywhere. We're pretty much in a beautiful spot, remote working. So it it, it seemed like the place to be for us. We're hearing a wide range of, of stories, primarily from other travelers, because we've been pretty much in lockdown for a number of days. We don't really leave the house. We don't leave the property. Um, so our reality, we can kind of control. But we do keep up on um, information coming in from other overlanders and other travelers who are reporting really great things like um, people offering someplace to park their rig and stay safe or and just f- ride it out. Free rooms and hostels they're yeah. being offered. Yeah, um, so, so, that- so there's, a, there's a lot of Argentinian hospitality playing out. There's also some fear. Um, you know, uh, we are hearing some stories about people who have, for example, booked an Airbnb and when they arrive and the people realize that they're foreigners, they're not allowed to stay. Or they are allowed to stay, but then the neighbors, let's say it's an apartment complex in Buenos Aires or something like that, the neighbors get very concerned and nervous and begin putting pressure on the landlord to get um, the, the, the foreigners out of the building. Because there's just a lot of... There, there, there's not the same aggressive 24-7 dissemination of information about what's going on here that maybe we're benefiting from in the United States. So there are still a lot of people who don't understand. Even the police don't fully understand. Right. And it's being, we hear stories where people are being stopped and turned back, um, even though they have plane tickets and they're trying to get to Buenos Aires and other stories of the cops, you know, letting them carry on their way. So there's right. just a lot of unclear information, out, official information out there. Right. The only advice we have in dealing with something like this is just don't let fear guide your decisions because they're often they often then become irrational dis- choices and decisions. Um, just stop, breathe, think about it, and 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 follow. I mean, in this case, our dream is to continue traveling. There's no reason why we can't keep doing that here. We just need to lay low for a little bit wa- a little while and be responsible, and that shouldn't be a problem. My name's Hamko, and um, I'm originally, I guess, from Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. But I left, I left Canada oof, just after finishing high school, so around 18, 
And uh, I've been on the road ever since. Uh, first, after living in, in the States for around 10 years, uh, bummed around Europe. Then I was in Spain, where I am now. I've been here for about 10 years in a small provincial capital, pretty close to the Portuguese border, a place called Cáceres. So right now I'm uh, sitting, looking out my window, looking across a little ravine or a valley, I guess you would say, across a 12th century Almohad wall, and I'm just listening to the applause that happen every night here. Every night at 8 o'clock, everyone goes out and whistles and shouts and claps at their balcony and saying, hey, thanks. Thanks for helping us. Thanks for keeping us alive. I had a job, or have a job. I'm still not sure if I still have a job. Uh, I'm a teacher, I'm a writer, and I'm a musician. So all of uh, all of the three have been hit and hit very hard uh, with this crisis. And so when this hit, it just basically hit us by surprise. Uh, I've been in lockdown now here in Spain for, for eight days. Um, I've moved some of my classes online trying to do that but my connection is pretty poor here uh as a musician all of my tours that i had planned have all been cancelled and writing writing well writing is is on pause so or at least the paid work that i had been doing is on pause because no one's traveling right now true a lot of people are reading but uh very few editors seem to be uh commissioning pieces right now so I'm here in my house uh, with my wife, who's a teacher. She's uh, a primary teacher, and my two kids. And life is good, because unlike many people who live in this country who live in small apartments, especially the people who live in bigger urban, uh, we live we live in a small provincial capital, just under a hundred thousand people, and we have a patio. So the weather's lovely. Uh, springs springing and uh, we're spending a lot of as much time as possible in the patio uh, late at night I go out and I take out the trash and I still haven't been shopping yet but uh, it looks like next week that's uh, that's gonna be that's gonna be my adventure for the week day-to-day -day life here has changed immensely uh, I don't know if anybody listening's ever been to Spain but we spend a lot of time in the street uh, even when we're at bars, people tend to, even if they're not smokers, tend to like to spend the time in the street, especially now when the weather is starting to get nice and it's not too hot yet. So it's it's been it's been a seismic shift basically in what people are doing, and it was really 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 hard for many people to to adjust to simply not being able to go out, not be, to be able to go for a walk. Here in the town where I live, I mean the Paseo still exists, meaning, you know, that afternoon walk after you have dinner or before you have dinner around eight o'clock at night, you know, people just go and they walk and they see their neighbors and they say, hey, and people stop and talk and ask about what's going on. So it has completely altered the way that our day-to-day -day lives go. I mean, going, the effect on my kids has been pretty noticeable. I mean, both of them are curious, but especially the six-year-old. The six-year-old, well, six and her birthday, she'll turn seven and she'll be under quarantine, uh, more than likely. And she's wondering, you know, well, will I be able to celebrate my birthday? And we've talked about it and said, well, yes, we'll celebrate it, but uh, you'll have to celebrate it with your friends later on. And she seems pretty cool with it. Uh, they, 
they they understand that these are extraordinary circumstances and life as they've known it has completely changed. This is Dennis Kay. And Stephanie Kay. And we're Americans who are currently living in the city of Strasbourg, France, which is in the east of the country, very close to the German border. Uh, we've been living as expats since 2003, uh, first in the country of Belize, and then for the last five and a half, six years here in France. We lived in Paris for a while, and now we're living in Strasbourg. And uh, our lives have been greatly affected uh, by the coronavirus outbreak. Uh, I'm 50 years old. 44 years old. And we have a lot to say about this. Uh, things are not easy here. Uh, the government has instituted a very strict home quarantine uh, for almost all uh, everybody. And uh, the only reasons that we can leave our house is to get supplies that are necessary, like groceries, go uh, to the pharmacy or the doctor's office, or maybe to care for a sick loved ones and family members. So we are in our apartments. We have been now for six days. Six days officially, but we saw this coming because my health, I have some health problems. So we socially isolated ourselves, looking at what was happening in China and in Italy. And so for about two weeks before we decided to stay home as much as possible, we only went out to the grocery stores, to the pharmacy and to the doctor. We were very, vigilant about washing our hands and listening to the CDC and the WHO and figuring out what to do to keep ourselves safe because we are very far away from our families. We both grew up in Bay City, Michigan, and um, now we're seeing that the United States is a little bit behind where France is now. So some of the things that we're doing now probably will soon happen in the United States. For instance, we need to carry a piece of paper called an attestation, which means you have to write, on my honor, I am leaving the house for these reasons. The reasons are to go to essential work, if you cannot telecommute, or home, to go to the pharmacy, to go get groceries, or to care for someone who is very ill or a senior citizen. So, oh, also exercise short exercise about a kilometer or two around your living arrangement. So you cannot cycle, but you can run and you can walk, but you need to be only one person and you need to be very smart about it. Don't talk to people, don't touch people, don't get near people. And people are listening. We're very actually happy because of these additional rules, because just before that, we live in a college town and a lot of students didn't seem to feel like it was a problem for them back then when they had less information. So they, we could hear them down at the pub, down at the cafes, being very loud, being very excited, being college students. But we also heard a lot of coughing and a lot of nose blowing and it looked like a Petri dish. People were not three feet apart. So uh, even though it's hard to be under these circumstances, it's for the best of us. So we are doing all the best we can to just listen to the authorities and for our own health and also for the health of those who have uh, underlying health conditions and our older folks. Uh, we're a little frustrated uh, by watching the, how slow the progression took place, to be honest. Italy is just to the south. 
And we could see very quickly that Italy's serious cases were escalating and that when you looked at the numbers of what was happening in Italy uh, compared to what was happening in France and Germany, uh, France and Germany and the UK was just sometimes maybe seven, eight, nine days or two weeks behind Italy. And yet countries like France and Germany were not taking these very strong uh, precautions or, or putting these strict measures in place. And our fear is that maybe they waited too long and now more people are going to suffer because of it. So I think it's very important to uh, listen to the government officials, definitely listen to the health professionals, but also do your research and take precautions yourself. Take your health and, your, and the protection of you and your family into your own hands. We are currently in um, a two-bedroom, one-bath apartment on the third floor in the very center of Strasbourg. So uh, normally we take a tram to go get different things. Uh, we walk to get groceries and we carry a little cart behind us. So only one of us will go to get groceries with the attestation showing if the police need to know all of our information and our ID. Uh, we are washing our hands immediately upon coming in, taking all clothes off, not sitting down on anything, bathing, making sure none of the virus is coming into our home. So far, we've been uh, pretty vigilant about that and uh, we're both feeling fine. We feel very happy and confident in the very brave people who are still working at the groceries, the pharmacies, the doctors, the nurses. In fact, in France at 8 p.m., we open our balcony windows every night and we clap for our brave healthcare professionals who are taking good care. So they say, stay home so that we can keep this curve low so that they can have enough ventilators, they can have enough medical knowledge, medical equipment to take care of it. Because right now, the president of France is actually using the military to build a military hospital in our area, right in Strasbourg with more beds. So it's a very serious thing. And if I had one advice uh, for those now who are, are, are this, this whole situation is catching them by surprise is to accept reality and then make a plan. So right now, whether you're out of work, you're telecommuting, no matter what's going on in your life, accept the reality that this is happening. It's not going away anytime soon. There's no one to blame. You can't blame others. That's not going to fix anything. It's not going to solve this problem. Take responsibility for your own health, the health of your family. Do what you can and use this time wisely so that when this passes through, whether it takes uh, another two months or six months or 18 months, whatever the time period is, make sure you come through this and you come through bigger, stronger, more capable, and better in a position to enjoy life to the fullest. This has been Deviate with Rolf Potts. More about everything that was just mentioned, including more information on each of my audio correspondents, can be found in the show notes at rolfpotts.com deviate. And as always, you can contact me with insights or questions at deviate at rolfpots.com. This episode was produced by Justin Glow. Cedar Van Tassel does the theme music. Luke Van Tassel did the episode art. Thanks for listening, and I hope you tune in for future episodes of Deviate with Rolf Potts. <laughs> <laughs>